Welcome to Leaders Recon, where we'll be discussing leadership, warrior skills, and other unique opportunities within the G3 Leader Development Branch. I'm your host, Joshua Carr, and today we'll be discussing standing up a new airborne battalion within the formation. With us is Lieutenant Colonel Hanger and Sergeant Major Gutenberger, the command team for this new battalion. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. Thank you. For those in the audience who are not familiar with your background, could you tell us a little bit about your experience joining the military and your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in uh, in the Army for nearly 25 years now. Uh, I enlisted uh, right after college uh, as an enlisted 95 Bravo back then, which was military police. Uh, I earned my commission through the Federal Officer Candidate School in uh, 1999. Uh, after that, I was uh, commissioned as an infantry officer and then PCS to Fort Riley, Kansas, where I was a uh, mechanized infantry platoon leader and executive officer. After that, I uh, transitioned to the Nebraska Army National Guard, where I started my National Guard career at Camp Ashland with the 209th Regional Training Institute as an officer candidate school instructor, um, deployed with the 209th uh, to Afghanistan, uh, met some of the full-timers, so they encouraged me to apply for positions when, uh, when, uh, when we got back from deployment. So about a year later, I left the civilian sector and uh, started with the Nebraska Army National Guard full-time. Around the same time, where I, that's when I ran into uh, then First Sergeant Gutenberger. Uh, we are the command team of the 195th Forward Support Company, which is Special Operations Forward Support Company, an airborne uh, unit uh, out of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, we deployed that organization in 2011 in support of uh, the CJ SODF uh, in OEF uh, 17 rotation. Um, uh, upon coming back, um, went to command and general staff officer course, uh, resident down at Fort Leavenworth. Uh, came back from that. I was the uh, command group executive officer or the secretary of the general staff uh, for the Nebraska Army National Guard. Then did three years at a joint assignment at, uh, at STRATCOM, and I'm currently the uh, deputy G1 for the state of Nebraska, in addition to my M-Day assignment as the battalion commander for the second time, 134th Infantry. What about you, Star Major? What made you want to join the military back in the day? Well, for me, back in the day, uh, it was joining for the money to go to college. You know, here in Nebraska, I've been in the Nebraska National Guard for 33 years. Uh, you know, once I did my initial enlistment, I figured out that I, I kind of really liked being a soldier. So I re-enlisted and uh, I've just been working hard and keeping after it this whole time. And here we are 33 years later. When you look back at your accomplishments so far in your career, what's really stood out to you? You want to take that one first, Sergeant Major? <laughs> sure thing, sir. Uh, of course, accomplishments uh, in the military is, uh, I think it's a complicated term uh, from the standpoint of there's, there's a lot that goes into a, to, to having an accomplishment just to begin with. Success is, uh, is always, uh, you know, what we strive for. But uh, when it comes to my accomplishments, uh, personally, I think, uh, you know, my accomplishments are all based in the groups that I've led and the groups that I've been with. Uh, that teamwork is uh, it's beyond anything that uh, an individual could ever do. And you know, that, you know, from my experience, being able to be with multiple different groups, whether it may be combat arms, combat support, uh, that's truly what I see as an accomplishment, is that we are able to bring people together in the Nebraska National Guard and complete the missions that we do with the high success rate that we have. I would like to echo, you know, what Sergeant Major said, you know, really, um, 
I just didn't have the opportunity to be in a place where I can a lot, you know, help other people to, to succeed through, you know, collaborative efforts. Um, you know, my success that, that I've had or, you know, relative success has certainly been uh, a product of having a lot of good people around me. And, and uh, I've always tried to uh, allow uh, the people that I work with and around or, uh, you know, that I'm in command of now to flourish, you know, allow them to do things their way as, as long as it wasn't uh, ethical or immoral. I found out a long time ago of soldiers, uh, if you give them the opportunity to do it their way, they're more apt to do it very, very well instead of telling them exactly how you want to do it. You know, if they are willing to uh, put in the effort and own the process, again, as long as it's not uh, illegal, unethical, or immoral, you know, to let them do it. And then uh, you get that buy-in from them. But uh, Sergeant Major and I have had the, you know, the, the pleasure to see a lot of really quality uh, leaders um, that we've been around, you know, do a lot of amazing things all throughout the organization. And that's probably been uh, what's uh, uh, been the nicest to see and, uh, you know, gives me probably the most pride is to see what everybody else is doing that uh, we've had an opportunity to serve with. Sir, could you give us a brief overview of what it means to stand up an airborne battalion and what capabilities exist within that formation? Well, I guess what it means is that, uh, you know, within the National Guard, Army National Guard, that we, you know, for t at least two brigade combat teams are going to retain an opportunity to, you know, deliver soldiers to the battlefield uh, through an airborne operation. All total, uh, you know, we're talking about 750 uh, authorizations for paid parachutist positions when you look at the entire uh, um, requirement. So that would be the, uh, the organic uh, infantry battalion, the headquarters company, all three rifle companies, the weapons company, the forward support company, uh, India company out of the 700th uh, brigade support battalion. Plus you will have uh, approximately 40 authorizations for uh, fire supporters uh, out of the fires battalion from Oklahoma. Um, you know, what that does is that gives the 45th uh, brigade commander in whatever division that we're supporting the capability to seize key terrain uh, you know, through an airborne operation. Um, I guess if you, you know, kind of read the history or following what's been going on uh, in the National Guard, when uh, multiple states had a long-range surveillance capability, I believe this was the, the previous uh, director's work to maintain that airborne capability. And, you know, they kind of consolidated the requirement with the paid parachutist positions into a second airborne battalion. The way the force managers, uh, aligned everything that uh, that went to the 45th Brigade Combat Team. And uh, we were fortunate enough to, to gain that force structure. Uh, again, we've had the, we had the history to be able to pull it off. Um, you know, we have the, you know, really, I think in the, the hard part is the enablers that we already had a leg up on, uh, you know, a lot of the other states because, uh, you know, we have a host of a very, very capable uh, airborne logisticians and uh, sustainers that, that were already in the, in the state, and we could transfer that over. It's kind of easy to, you know, in reality, to go find a, a young, uh, you know, man or a young woman that wants to, you know, be a, a maneuver a paratrooper. But it's a, it's kind of a, a niche market to find the uh, the enablers everywhere when you're talking about you know one unit in one state in the in the middle part of America. So, sir, part of 
building a brand new unit here is is establishing the heraldry with that unit. What was that process like for you? Well, for us, it kind of posed a unique challenge because the 134th Infantry has been around for a long time, but uh, because of some uh, force integration actions and things like that, a lot of our lineage had passed over to uh, the Cav Squadron that we have. So really, 2nd Battalion 134th is, is actually, uh, from a heraldry standpoint, a brand new unit. So uh, some of the advice I would give to a, a state that's standing up a, a brand new unit, uh, you know, there's a heraldry aspect. You have to design your colors. You have to design a distinctive unit insignia. And for us, we had the opportunity to actually uh, design a, a flash and oval that we'll wear on our berets and our, and our class A uniform. Um, so I have, a, I have one that we just got uh, fresh, off the, fresh off the manufacturer. So this is the uh, 2nd Battalion, uh, 134th Infantry Flash. Um, I would like to uh, say a big thank you to the Institute of Heraldry for uh, all the work that they did helping us develop that. Um, so our colors are, are designed, uh, our flash, we got those so we can start uh, everybody wearing the beret and our, our distinctive unit insignia will probably uh, be uh, arriving uh, later on this summer. So it gave us a unique opportunity to uh, incorporate some of the history that we have here in Nebraska and try to to capture the warrior culture of here with the Lakota Sioux tribe uh, out in Western Nebraska. So our, uh, our unit motto uh, is actually a Lakota Sioux term. Uh, it's uh, Mapia Itanhan, which means from the sky. Uh, so we're very, uh, we're very proud of that, our heritage, and it uh, actually dovetails very well uh, into the 45th Brigade uh, in their Native American heritage uh, down in Oklahoma. So uh, all of the subordinate battalions have a, a, a tribal uh, I don't want to say affiliation, but uh, a name, uh, and ours, of course, is going to be uh, Team Lakota. So we're the Lakota Squadron, or excuse me, the Lakota Battalion up here in Nebraska, you know, part of the 45th uh, uh, Brigade Combat Team. So diving into that, this is the second Airborne Battalion in the, in the National Guard Force structure with the, the 143rd being the only other unit out of Texas. Can you kind of define what makes the Airborne Battalion unique? There's been airborne capabilities scattered throughout the, you know, the National Guard for, for quite a long time. But, you know, a, a, a full infantry or airborne infantry battalion is, uh, is kind of tricky to, uh, to get stood up and maintain uh, on the reserve component. Um, you know, for us, we we're fortunate that, you know, we're really building this organization around a couple of units that were, you know, already had an airborne heritage. So uh, that's been very, very helpful to uh, start off uh, with the, out of the 195th, which is now our India company, 700th BSB or Brigade Support Battalion. So they're already everyone qualified the preponderance of them. And then uh, the infantrymen that came over from our former long range surveillance company uh, are kind of the nucleus of our airborne soldiers in the organization. And then we're just kind of building out from there. The unit falls under the, the 45th IBCT out of Oklahoma. I thought I saw you already uh, rocking the Thunderbird patch there. Um, we are. What kind of challenges does that does that entail for you guys as a command team with the headquarters for the unit being several states away? Well, um, it is it's it's posing a challenge. That obviously, first thing is geographic separation. You know, having different state leadership and then uh, you know poses a challenge because you have two sets of requirements. Typically, we brief our unit status reports and our yearly training calendars through the state of Nebraska, but we also try to align it with what the 45th is doing. And we're on different uh, battle rhythms there. So what uh, what we've already done for Nebraska a couple months ago, Oklahoma just did last week. So you know we're changing products around and things like that, which 
I would say is, uh, is a common uh, uh, obstacle that any unit that has a headquarters outside of the state, we're not unique in that regard, but uh, it is hard, you know, so we're not trying to, we're minimizing if we can the duplication of work because we're uh, working through, you know, two different states, you know, in a, in a you know, in a, in, in what those state products want to look like. Uh, but otherwise, the 45th, uh, Colonel Wyatt, the commander, uh, has been incredible, uh, you know, offering up as much support as he can. And uh, we've really been searching for opportunities for us to plug into that staff down there and figure out how we're going to move forward, which has obviously been sidelined a little bit with the, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. So, Sergeant Major, kind of going over to you in the soldier training piece of this, I know the commander mentioned that this was comprised of several airborne units before Obviously, everyone has to get airborne qualified. Is everyone just going straight to airborne school? Or what does it look like on your end for the personnel side on getting soldiers up to meet all those minimum basic qualifications? Yes, of course, uh, you know, when you're trying to start something uh, as big as this is going, going to be, there are those challenges with trying to get the, uh, uh, the, the slots at the airborne school. And of course, we're bringing in lots of new people, not only just fresh recruits, but we're also pulling people in from other units within the state. Uh, so, so airborne is, is a challenge. Uh, everybody that uh, is going to go there eventually. But right now, our, our focus is a professional military education. And then, of course, MOSQ. Uh, that we got to get people into those categories first. And then we'll, get to, we'll start cracking the nut on the airborne. Uh, all of our fresh recruits in the pipeline they're, they're having that contract again. So as soon as they're done with uh, AIT, they're sliding right over and they're, they're getting their airborne knocked out. Uh, some, of the, some of the old dogs that have come in from other units, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're slotting, they're getting their times, they're, they're, uh, they're just on an OML trying, you know, order of merit list. So uh, once the, their, their time's there, then we're getting them down there and they're, they're knocking it all out, but it's gonna take some time. Does a battalion have a unique drill schedule or additional funding or training days for maintaining that airborne status? Or what does that look like? We do. Uh, we do go what's called the code 42s. Um, so that allows us additional periods specifically to get ready for airborne operations. So we can include those uh, on the front of uh, unit training assembly dates and things like that to allow us more time uh, to prepare because it just does take a significant amount of time to you know, to go through the process, uh, you know, keeping people current. And even when we are current, it takes uh, several hours to get the, the unit through a refresher training, you know, the shoot issue, uh, jump master pre-inspection, all that stuff. It just, it, there's a lot of time that uh, can be kind of idle when it comes to uh, an airborne operation. So, sir, you talked a little bit about how the, four, the airborne battalion is made out of the old long range surveillance companies. How is that translated into the Airborne Battalion and what are some of the challenges um, that you've overcome with the shift in the mindset from the long range surveillance companies to the Airborne Infantry Battalion? Well, actually, uh, those challenges uh, so far have uh, been theoretical <laughs> just due to uh, when we stood up, you know, what we've been able to do in our limited time where we're actually assembling. Uh, we've had uh, very limited opportunities for our rifle companies to actually get out on the ground. Um, you know, for, and I can speak more, uh, you know, to the, to the companies in Nebraska, but, uh, you know, really it's, uh, it's been kind of a challenge, you know, it is a different mission. 
Um, you know, most time, you know, the, the long range surveillance is, you know, kind of viewed as, uh, you know, in a, in a, I guess you could say uh, an elite uh, organization. Uh, not every soldier gets to do that. Typically, you're going to start out uh, in a rifle company uh, and then kind of work your way up and they'll be able to select the best of the best. But if, you know, in Nebraska, that's if you could get recruited right into the LERS company. So you don't know any other aspect of being infantryman other than long range surveillance. You know, I would say that the, probably the biggest thing, in, in my opinion, from, you know, what I've seen, you know, coming out of a, a mechanized, uh, you know, uh, rifle company, uh, you know, back when I did my company time, uh, and it was different. You know, we didn't have all the automated battle command systems and, and everything else that we do now. Um, but back then, it was, uh, I, you know, really focused on, uh, you know, trying to put out a simple order and then rehearsing it until everybody felt comfortable with it. And when we knew our SOPs inside and out, it was, I think it was, in a way, it was easier to kind of get your head around. You know, in the, in the day of information, you know, so many echelons are looking for so many different products that really you kind of get bogged down. But I think uh, to answer your question in a nutshell, um, most of our, our LERS professionals are used to having a lot more time to plan and spend less time executing. And we're trying to kind of shift the paradigm that, hey, we're going to execute simple plans that you can flex from. And, you know, and we're doing, uh, you know, closing with and destroying the enemy. We're not, you know, we're not, uh, you know, trying to infiltrate, uh, you know, and, you know, surveil an objective and report back. You know, it's just a different set of challenges. And, you know, the soldiers are professionals. A lot of our uh, rifle company NCOs have been through ranger school. So I know they get it. It's they just haven't done it so much. And it's been a long time since uh, they've just gotten out. And plus, um, it's expanded so much where they used to be able to be uh, a little bit more selective in who they let in there if a soldier was going to, you know, change, uh, you know, from a different MOS to infantry to join the LERS. Now we're recruiting right into it. So, you know, I don't want to say that, uh, you know, it's just different. It's going to, it has to be more inclusive than exclusive. And so it's just, uh, it, it's, it's just taken a little bit of an adjustment. And sir, speaking of some of those support units, um, what does that look like for the support required for an airborne battalion being out there in Nebraska? It's, you know, it's got to be different from Fort Bragg where everything's, you know, in one place, you know, what kind of support is required and, and what needs to be facilitated still? Well, currently in the state of Nebraska, we still have a, a rigor support team, uh, which is remnants of a, uh, of a rigor detachment that we used to have in the state uh, because we've had airborne uh, units for, you know, over 30 years, you know, in Nebraska, you know, we've had people on paid parachute uh, duty uh, for a long time. So we've had the structure. Well, it's kind of dwindled down now. So we only have about eight riggers left that are on jump status, but we do have uh, 120 shoots that, uh, you know, met the requirement for what we needed previous to that. So as of right now, we just, uh, we can still manage uh, within the state, but we're exploring uh, through our G4 and our G3, we're exploring uh, opportunities uh, outside of the state. So, of course, Indiana has a substantial uh, rigor footprint there. And our Charlie company um, is actually located in Indiana. So we've uh, been doing a lot of correspondence with uh, uh, their leadership over there regarding their rigor capability and how we can uh, get online and sooner. You know, it's pre-decisional. I don't want to say that that's exactly where we're going to go, but it, I think it, it makes sense. And that's the way things are kind of leaning. So 
the airborne community is small. Um, a lot of people know each other when they're when they go to different conferences and things like that. So, you know, the uh, senior NCOs and the warrant officers uh, do a lot of coordination when they go to those. It's very very beneficial. So, a lot of those uh, soldiers know what's going on and they're they're forward thinking and uh, and really kind of developing the relationships prior to. So, in a way, it almost becomes a formality when the when the state leadership you know, hears about it, that everybody that's actually going to do the work and make it happen are already coordinated with it and are online. So that, that's been a help. We spoke about some of the demands required related to airborne operations. Can you give us an idea of what kind of soldier you're looking for in that formation and some of the unique opportunities afforded to the airborne infantrymen? The kind of soldier that, uh, that we're, we're looking for is one that is committed. They're committed to doing this soldiering that we're asking them to do. Might be jumping out of airplanes, might be jumping out of helicopters. It could be just from the personnel side. We don't. But the thing that we're looking for is commitment. We don't need people that are just interested in being an airborne infantryman. We need them to be committed. And that's really what uh, I'm looking for in a soldier. Uh, the unique opportunities that are out there, of course, uh, the first and foremost leadership school in the, in the Army, Ranger Course. That is an option for uh, most of our formation. And, and we also have uh, soldiers that have attended, the soldiers that will attend uh, the sniper school. Uh, we just had, uh, I think it was four soldiers complete the expert infantry badge competition or the, uh, qualifications. And, uh, and so that's another thing that's open to, to infantrymen. Uh, and then, of course, you get some of the competitions that are fun, more like the marksmanship, comp marksmanship competitions, and then there's some jump fest parachuting competitions that are available out there also. But first and foremost, we want people that are committed to being airborne infantry. All right. So, uh, you know, so what we're really looking for are, are soldiers that are committed to being paratroopers. You know, we're looking for, uh, you know, soldiers that are going to dedicate themselves to fundamentals, to fitness. Um, we have been receiving a lot of interest from soldiers uh, outside of the state. You know, the best way to get in contact with us is to uh, go to our website that is uh, ne.ng.mil, uh, uh, and they have it'll show all of the, uh, the opportunities that are out there uh, and how to get in contact with our, our G1 staff uh, at the state, our recruiting office, or, or even, you know, all the way down to the 2nd Battalion itself. So Sergeant Major, going back to you, we already talked about a little bit of the unique opportunities with uh, Ranger School, with Jumpmaster, with Pathfinder. Could you expound a little bit about like, what does the Pathfinder do for the organization? What does the Jumpmaster do for the organization? Um, for those that are not really as familiar with that. Yes, uh, uh, starting with our Pathfinders. Our Pathfinders, they, they go to a very intense school to learn how to locate, survey, and, and then run a drop zone. I mean, they're out there on the ground. They know how to measure speeds, uh, wind speeds. They know how to, you know, they have all these technical things that they have to do so the aircraft can get to the right drop zone and put people out on the right mark. Uh, of course, that's that's the simple answer. They, they do a, a lot more than that. Uh, jump masters, they really are. They're 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 the rule makers. They 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 have the skill set how to get somebody uh, rigged up in a parachute correctly, getting them in the airplane correctly, getting them out of the airplane correctly. And the, that school itself is, is a very, very intense school also. So our people that are doing these specific 
tasks are, they're, they're some of the best and the brightest in the Army National Guard, that's for sure. And everyone of them, they're, they're, they're committed to what they're doing because these, are, these aren't the schools that people just go to because it's, it sounds like a good time. This is something that is very uh, unique to the airborne community, but, but it's also, it's the underlying, underlying safety factor that these folks are concerned with, and that's why they go to these schools. And they're, they're, they're just so valuable to what we're doing. And Sir, kind of going back to you, I know you, little, you hit on this a little bit already, but um, filling an entire new battalion of soldiers has to be a challenge. Are you looking for soldiers currently? And if so, you know, how should someone reach out? Absolutely. Uh, you know, right now, you know, uh, you know, strength is uh, is an issue for us, but we're growing. We're growing on average of one to two percent a month. You know, so we can uh, we've grown over 100 soldiers since uh, since we stood up in September. You know, we're having a lot of interest, um, uh, you know, nationwide. You know, we get calls almost every day to the battalion uh, where soldiers hear about it. Uh, you know, we're working uh, strength through. Uh, our recruiting and retention battalion, uh, you know, we're working the uh, active duty installations as soldiers transition out. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, really the best way, uh, you know, we do have uh, uh, some social media platforms and everything uh, that we monitor and, uh, you know, soldiers are already uh, locating the information, uh, you know, contact in the state of Nebraska and they get directed down to us. And we do receive a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails. So word's kind of getting out. Uh, it, which is a really, really good thing. And, uh, you know, like I said, right now, you know, we're trying to be inclusive, you know, so, uh, you know, really, uh, I don't know we're taking anybody, but, uh, you know, we're, you know, the people that are seeking us out that aggressively or, or, or you know, really uh, taking that first step, you know, towards commitment to the unit because they want to be there. I mean, if you think about it, they're at least a two-time volunteer. Uh, they volunteered for the Army and they volunteered to be a paratrooper. So we're just hoping them, uh, uh, you know, fulfill their, uh, fulfill their goals uh, in the Nebraska Army National Guard. So transitioning a little bit, we're meeting virtually today due to the ongoing COVID pandemic. I'm sure that's played a role in the challenges with virtual training and online training um, over the past few months. What are the challenges um, that you faced? And I guess, or better yet, what's your advice and lessons learned to those that are out there trying to stand up new units? Well, we're uh, we're in the middle of that challenge right now, you know. So uh, we've been given guidance uh, on uh, how to conduct uh, a virtual IDT. Um, we just got uh, a, uh, approval today from our from our G three through our, our uh, from our adjutant general that we can actually assemble soldiers in groups of ten or less as long as we take appropriate precautions. You know, so for us that you know that really works well and actually allows us the opportunity to go out and you know conduct. You know, good hands-on, uh, you know, training with the at the squad level, um, and then you know the virtual environment allows us to really do all the coordination, professional development, uh, you know, that we really need to do. And I think it's just uh, thinking outside of the box a little bit, um, you know, and uh, developing a, a good agenda, and then you know your objectives that you're trying to get to, so you can measure it and make sure that uh, you know you're being prudent with the with our uh, you know, with the periods that we're, you know, paying people to conduct. So Sergeant Major, having that bench of non-commissioned officers is just so vital for unit success. What are, you know, and it takes years to build. What have you been doing to try to get a jump start on that? Um, 
when standing up a new unit? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to go out and, and you have to uh, rely on the people that you've worked with in the past. You have to go seek them out, talk to them. If, if they're not interested in maybe being a part of it, maybe they've got somebody in that that, that they trust, that they, that they know very well that would be a great fit. So you have to get out there and you have to do some footwork. You have to get in front of people. You have to talk to them about it. Uh, because that is one of the hardest things to grow is, is an experienced NCO. Uh, of course, we are focusing on recruiting. Uh, we're recruiting inside the state, outside the state. Uh, people can get a hold of us, you know, through our full-time staff, through our websites. Uh, they can see what kind of things we have open, different positions. Uh, so, you know, it, when it comes to building that NCO, it basically, it's, it's you know, for me, it's, it's going to start with the brand new guy coming in. Because uh, behind every great NCO, you've got a squad or a platoon or maybe even just a team. But you've got all those guys working together. And that's what's going to that's what's going to grow these NCOs. We've already got uh, we already have a, a, a large group of very really experienced NCOs, uh, and so at this point, it's 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 basically we have to continue to communicate uh, consistently, and we need to share the information that we have and that we've developed over our careers with our younger soldiers, our younger NCOs, and we have to challenge. We have, to, we have to put that challenge on them to become that airborne infantryman that we're looking for. And so this is for both of you gentlemen. I know it's only been, what is it, six months since the unit first stood up. What are your biggest lessons learned so far throughout this whole process? And what is your piece of advice to someone who's standing up a unit somewhere? Well, I guess I'll take the, the first cut at this one. You know, probably, the, you know, the biggest lesson learned is... Uh, you know, and we're kind of learning as we go, uh, you know, we, we had to, you know, kind of choose who we were going to, what we were going to fall in on as far as uh, resourcing and everything else. So in this particular instance, we fell in on what the, the 195th Ford Sport Company already had uh, resourced as far as training goes, because it met the most of the requirements. Because by the time we stood this up, uh, the, the LERS company had been basically absorb, uh, absorbed into other structures. So we had to pull them all back out so that none of them were on jump status. And we had to start back over from scratch. The other thing um, is depending on what state you're coming from and what the current force structure looks like in that particular state, you only have a, a certain amount of, of uh, soldiers out there that have the qualifications. Um, on one hand, it did give me kind of the flexibility to uh, influence uh, who was gonna be on the team starting up. But what I was really looking for, I wasn't looking for branches. I was looking for soldiers that I knew or officers in particular that had the right skill set uh, to be able to adapt and, and knew their craft as far as uh, being a staff officer. For example, is uh, our XO right now is an intel officer, but he's one of the he's one of the best staff officers we have in the state. We were uh, you know real fortunate to get him and he's done great stuff for us. Uh, my S3 uh, is an infantry guy, but, you know, he's, you know, got a lot of other, you know, experience as well. And then, you know, I have to, you know, balance, you know, uh, you know, how we're going to move people in and out because there are only two authorizations, of course, for, for majors in the state. Um, so, and one of those is, uh, is an AGR. So, um, I immediately was going into an officer life cycle, uh, you know, issue, uh, right before we even started, because I was trying to get these soldiers, they had things that they needed to do. So as soon as you, I guess, if you're starting up an organization, I encourage everybody to really look at it from 
the, the old Maniquit uh, entrained construct. Uh, because before you know it, you're already gonna have personnel issues that you don't even quite realize. There's going to be a certain, just a huge amount of personnel changeover. So, you know, so really load up uh, starting out when you can report C5 in your unit status report, get good personnel people, get good logistics people, and then the, the training aspect of it is going to start out pretty small. You know, so if you're going to be able to uh, assume a little bit of risk, that's probably where you need to assume it. But get your people set, get your equipment in, get it accounted for, and then, you know, the training will kind of follow on. But we're, we're very much trying to, you know, to compress that right now. And we're being successful because I guess, you know, we have the opportunity to grow into it a little bit. Uh, just to piggyback there with the, what the commander said, uh, exactly right. You got to get the building blocks set. So you have to get the personnel, you have to get the equipment. Once you got the base built, the training will follow on. Uh, you got to take that one step at a time and focus on not spreading your, your force too thin. So earlier, I think both of you talked a little bit about the unique culture within the airborne community. Um, but that also comes with additional requirements to be on jump status and so, so on and so forth. What are some of the things that you've done or would be your advice to others in maintaining resiliency when you have a higher op tempo? Well, I think this one, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, the, in an airborne unit, you know, the part of the commitment, you know, we find out right away whether people are committed to it or not. Uh, you know, as an example, I use my Delta Company commander. He was an NCO uh, for Sergeant Major and I when we were the command team of the 195th Ford Sport Company. When he was an NCO, he passed up promotion two years in a row to stay in an airborne, in our airborne unit and deploy with us and deployed three or two times with it, with that organization. So he is a committed paratrooper, you know, and he, and he wants to be there. And, you know, and that, that culture uh, that he brings with him, you know, permeates down, you know, through his unit as well. The LERS guys, they stayed on uh, through a lot of uncertainty. They didn't know what was going on with that structure, you know, so it's there. And I think the, the hard part of the balance is, is there are people out there, they say, well, the airborne, there's too much, it's too much of a distractor, too many people get hurt, it's too hard to recruit to it. But the quality of the soldier that you get on the backside of, 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 of all the stuff that you have to go through to get them is worth its weight in gold. I mean, these are, they're professionals, um, they stand out amongst their peers, they have a tendency to, to, to get promoted faster, carry, uh, you know, carry more of the burden uh, throughout the organization and, and we can just depend on it. And I think, you know, that's what the airborne heritage has always been about. We're going to put our best soldiers that volunteer more than once into the worst place at the worst time, and they're going to come out successful. So we ask this of all of our guests, if what is one resource that you would recommend to a young soldier looking to do some self-development, sir? One resource. Um, that's really kind of a hard answer because, you know, I don't, I don't know if it fits, you know, but I guess um, I'm going to kind of indirectly answer your question. Uh, you know, one, uh, you need to be able, you need to be a reader, you know, and I would, I would actually recommend, you know, not necessarily military self-development, um, you know, because I think at the end of the day, it's, it, it is about your people skills. Um, you know, you can be a brilliant tactician, you can know doctrine inside and out, but if you can't, uh, you know, um, you know, create relationships and, and interact uh, interpersonally with the people around you, I don't think you're going to be as successful. And I'm just going to really quick share my leadership, you know, philosophy or the, the vision that I have, you know, that I've set out for the organization. You know, basically we have three building blocks. 
resiliency, readiness, and lethality. And we haven't gotten there yet, you know, but the resiliency piece is physical, emotional, and spiritual fitness. You know, that's what I, you know, I encourage all the, the, the young soldiers that I'm around. You have to, it's the, it's the trifecta, you know, cause it all builds on itself. You know, I'm looking, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a fitness guy. I enjoy it, but I expect the people around me to be fit. If you're physically fit, you're more likely to be uh, emotionally fit. And then, you know, then there's, you know, uh, you know, I encourage, you know, people to, to, you know, reach some sort of, you know, spiritual fitness, you know, then the, the readiness piece is, is your basics, you know, know your doctrine at your level, you know, try to try to learn a, a little bit higher, if you will, but master the basics, you know, be, uh, you know, be exceptional at the, at the, the things that you need to do every day, and you'll be able to build from that. And then the last part of it, as we get deeper into our, our readiness cycle is the lethality piece, you know, that's where we, put, that's where we put it all together. But if we don't have the solid foundation with each and every soldier, we're never going to be able to put it all together because we can't depend on them to do what they, you know, we're asking those soldiers to do. Kind of piggybacking off of that, Sergeant Major, do you want to kind of give some of your philosophy? Absolutely. And uh, uh, I've got one word, and that's that's people. That is your resource. And, you know, a young troop needs to seek advice from his leaders, his or her leaders, their peers. And they also need to seek advice from those that they lead. People's the number one resource. So, Sergeant Major, following up on that, people's number one resource, would you have, if you're giving a, advice to, you know, a newly enlisted soldier, a new NCO, what's that one piece of advice that you give them? Like, hey, nugget of gold. Uh, that, that would be embrace the challenges. Uh, Pathfinder schools, uh, jump master schools, not easy. They're not easy and there's a very, very high fail rate. People don't, you know, people don't like to fail, but you gotta be willing to fail if you wanna get to be the best that's out there. So you gotta embrace those challenges. And if you want it, and it matters to you and you're committed to it, you work hard for it. So sir, kind of going back to you, I know you kind of hit on this already, but what is that one piece of advice you'd give to a young officer out there, you know, just newly commissioned into the formation? Yeah, one piece of advice. Um, I, I would say, I, I, as stupid as it sounds, I would really say maintain your fitness. You know, I just sat in on a, uh, a uh, officer career management board for another state. Um, you know, I, so I got to, uh, I got to see, a, you know, quite a few packets, you know, that, uh, that were company level. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised to see how many uh, soldiers that, uh, um, you know, you know, are, are, are middle of the pack soldiers you simply off of the, off the things that are easily measured in a board, you know, so you have to kind of make yourself board ready, you know, because if you don't, uh, you're, you know, you can get overlooked, uh, you know, by soldiers that are focused on it. So I guess if it's one thing though, it, it would probably be a big balance. You know, if, if somebody, if I heard somebody else give the advice that Sergeant Major did, I'd say balance, you know, because you have you can't, you know, be uh, just, you know, single faceted. You have to be able to, you know, go do some of that other stuff. You know, if uh, you know, you, you have to, you know, you have to read, you have to self-develop, but you also have to carve out a little bit of time today to maintain that, that fitness and the resiliency piece as well. So gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing some of your experience and breaking down what it's like to stand up a new unit and a little bit about that unique culture within the airborne community. But thank you, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, uh, you know, share some of our story. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity.
Yes, thank you. It was a, a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to working with uh, all of you again. If you'd like more information on any of the topics we discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. Tune in to Leaders Recon over the next few weeks as we bring in today's leaders and pioneers to discuss their experiences, share their wisdom, and help you sharpen your skills as a leader. We will also be announcing opportunities for you to hone your skill as a leader in today's National Guard. See you next time. If you liked this week's episode of Leaders Recon, please subscribe below and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.